Thank you, Brother Terry. Thank you, choir. Thank you, praise team. Thank all of you for taking part in worship. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. We want to look at Matthew chapter 7. Then 1 John chapter 2, as I share a sermon that I've entitled, How Do I Know That I'm Saved? How do I know that I'm saved? You know, from time to time, as a believer, you may go back and ask that question. How do I know that I'm saved? You'll be asking it this morning. And so I want to share some information with you, how you answer that question. How do I know that I'm saved? And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you've never trusted Christ, you can do that this morning. And really, you don't need to leave till you do that. Most important decision you'll ever make is to ask Christ to come into your life and save you. And so all of your other decisions in life will be based upon that decision. You'll go to the Lord, every decision, regardless how small they may seem, how large they may be. Uh, if you trust the Lord in small things, you'll be willing to trust him in the larger things. And so there's nothing too small to go to the Lord with and ask about, ask his wisdom and his advice. And so how do I know that I'm saved? So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, familiar passage, and we're going to read verse, uh, verse 21 down through 23. God's word says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now there are a lot of people today are crying out, Lord, Lord, in some way or another, some form or another. But that doesn't mean everyone's saved that's calling out to the Lord. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 22, many, many will say to me in that day when they face Christ, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? So they plead their case. And he says in verse 23, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now if you will, turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and I, we had our Wednesday night uh, devotion from John chapter 2 this past Wednesday night. And so I want to pick up there... Uh, perhaps a little where we left off, John chapter 2, verse 15 through uh, 19. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we now, of which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to worship you this morning and now to share your word. May our minds be open, our hearts be open. May, our, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. And Father, at the appropriate time, may we step forward unashamedly and make decisions we feel as though you're calling us to make. And so thank you for dying publicly for us. Help us, we pray, to stand publicly for you. Thank you for what you're going to do in our time together. Be with those who are, are viewing and who are here today. Keep our hearts, we pray, focused upon you. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. May you be honored and glorified, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always a very disturbing time for me as I look over our church role at the end of the year, and I see a number of people who were once very active in Sunday school and worship, discipleship and serving and ministry, and who are now out of church altogether. And I realize COVID had some, somewhat to do with that for a while, but then it was time for people to come back. And I know people get older, and I know we have health issues. I, be, I know that we, we become frail in our health. Some are homebound. Some are in long-term care. And those are very legitimate excuses for why we're not at church. However, there are so many who have dropped out completely without any concern whatsoever of maintaining a connection with the church. They have no thought, no concern about their spiritual impact that, uh, of their apostasy and the effect that that's having on their, on their children, on their small children, and on their teenagers. And it does have an effect on the entire family. And they're in the world, uh, they love the world, and God's Word testifies that the love for the Father is not in them. 1 John 2, 15 through 16. They have chosen the world over the Father. Now, we dealt with this in depth this past Wednesday night, and we dealt with the lust of the flesh, and we dealt with... Uh, the whole, those whole, whole verses that I read, the entire verses that I read. But they've chosen the world over the Father. And so the result is there are many today who have refused, or who have, I should say, first of all, they have, they have placed faith in Christ. They have professed faith in Christ. Adults, even moms and dads, for whatever reason, are apostatizing. And they're teaching their children to do the same. And so the point is, the world has become their God. They love it, they worship it, and they have abandoned God for it. And so how do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that, you, if you, that you're truly saved? You love the Father more than you do the world. How do you know that you are a Christian? How do you know that your profession is true? Now, if you're taking notes, Roman numeral one, I'll say, 
first reason you know you're a believer, you love the Father and not the world. Do you love the Father more than you do the world? If you love the world more than you do the Father, the Bible says that, uh, that you're not a believer. 1 John 2 verse 19. How do I know that I'm a believer? Number two. You haven't abandoned the fellowship. You haven't abandoned Christianity. Look, if you will, at chapter 2, verse 19. <clears throat> Scripture says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Some claim to be a Christian, but they leave the fellowship. Some claim to be a Christian. They leave uh, Christianity altogether. Verse 18, John says that in the last hour, the Antichrist, singular, is coming. And then he says, many Antichrists have come. And because of this, we know that this is the last hour. Now, how do we know, John? Because they went out from us, and, and because of that, they were not of us, meaning they were lost. When you can leave Christianity, you're lost. You're lost. How do you know that you're saved? Number one, you love the Father and not the world. How do you know you're saved? You haven't apostatized. You have not abandoned Christianity. Now, I know people go and move from church to church, perhaps, and not that many times, really, in a lifetime. If you're, if you're moving from church to church, from church to church, from church to church, several times in a lifetime, you need to just stop and evaluate your spiritual condition. But there are times that you move and change a church. Change the location, your church location. You may move out of the area. You may be at a church that's preaching. Uh, you may be a false doctrine. It's good to leave that church. But people do leave, but they don't constantly move from one to the other. If you do, then you have a serious problem. But you haven't apostatized. You haven't abandoned Christianity. And that is proof that you belong to the Lord. Number three, if you jot in these down. How do you know that you're saved? Because you have more than a form of godliness. You have more than a form of godliness. You see, the person who has a form of godliness are those who make an outward display of their religion. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And you'll see what he's speaking of. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. This is what's happening in the last day. This is what's happening now. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, 
but denying the power thereof. That's important. Underline that. Denying the power. And from such people turn away. Don't have anything to do with those people. They have a form of godliness. They make this outward display of their religion. They present themselves godly, but it's all for show. All for a show. There's, there's no power behind their religion. And the evidence that there's no power behind their, 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 their religion is the fact that their lives are unchanged. They're out here and they're demonstrating their religion, but their life is living contrary to what their public testimony is bearing. And so they speak of God, and at the same time they live in sin, and they're okay with that. That's okay. And this happens a lot of time with students. You'll have students in church and they come to Sunday school, but they go to school and their life is totally different. That's a serious problem. Charles Elliott in his commentary said this, and I liked it. He said, these claim the title of Christian. They wear the uniform of Christ but their lives dishonor his name. They do the greatest harm to Christianity. Say one thing, live another way. But what's the danger, Brother Sammy, in doing that? What's the danger of having a form of godliness? Here's the danger. They have a form of religion that fails to bring eternal life in the end, you have to be careful. Here's the point. A true believer is accompanied by a form of godliness which is shown through the Holy Spirit and the transformation of that person's life. The Holy Spirit is working in, uh, in God's people and it's evident in the life that they live. And so the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and enables the believer to bear certain fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and, te and uh, uh, temperament for which there's no law, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Those are attributes of a true Christian as opposed to the list you find in 2 Timothy, we just read chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Completely different list. So the point is, true faith will be evidenced by good works that will occur naturally. You, you know, you don't, you, you can't produce fruit. Jesus, I am the vine. Jesus said in, in uh, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And so without Christ you cannot produce spiritual fruit. But with the Holy Spirit living in you, he produces peace and love and joy and kindness and goodness and meekness and self-control for which there's no law. And so true faith will be evidenced by good works that will occur naturally. You don't have to have, you don't try to produce peace. You don't try to produce joy. That just comes naturally if you have the Holy Spirit in your life and working in your life. And so if a person says he's a Christian and there's no evidence in his life by bearing the fruit of the Spirit, 
then he only has a form of godliness and not the power thereof. So a true believer has more than just a form of godliness. They have the power that goes with that to produce the fruit, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so how do I know that I'm saved? You have more than just a form of religion. You have the power of the Holy Spirit that produces godly fruit in your life. And if that's not being produced in your life, you have a spiritual problem. Number four, jot this down. How do I know that I'm saved? You're a Christian by conviction and not by culture. You're a Christian by conviction and not by culture. You know, um, I believe that there's a religion that's practiced by most Americans more than any other belief, and that's cultural Christianity. Now, you've You've heard that from time to time recently, no doubt, within the last past year or two. Cultural Christianity. I think about, I think, I think those 200 plus on our inactive list at this church, I believe the majority of those exhibit a, a witness of cultural Christianity. If, if you want to read a good book on cultural Christianity, pick up the book, The Unsaved Christian. And that's by Dean and Sarah. The Unsaved Christian by Dean and Sarah. And he says that, that uh, this is primarily found, well, it's found everywhere in the United States, but the participants of cultural Christianity can be found in Catholicism and also in, in Protestant, in Catholic churches and Protestant churches. In the South, in the Midwest, on uh, high school football fields, patriotic celebrations can be found even around the dinner table. Cultural Christianity, here's what it is. They believe in God, they honor prayer, they honor nativity scenes, the cultural Christian admires Jesus but don't really think that he's needed except to, to take the wheel in case of an emergency or a crisis. And then Syria says that the Jesus of cultural Christianity is a type of historical imagination. He's a, an imaginary friend with some type of magic power and good luck. They know Amazing Grace, the song Amazing Grace, but they can't explain grace. Words like hope and faith and belief hang on their living room wall. Maybe some scripture over the kitchen table. But the actual words of God only come around when they go to a funeral and Psalm 23 is read at the funeral. There's a familiarity with church and Christian lingo, but familiarity with the gospel is hard to find in a cultural Christian. Now let me say this, regardless how much you love your culture, and I was thinking about this, being a southerner, being from the south, regardless how much you love being in the Bible belt and how comfortable you are with Christian lingo, the message remains the same. 
There's no saving faith exists apart from a commitment to Jesus Christ and a belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Let's look at that gospel just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Now, you want to know what the gospel is? Which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand, but which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. That Here's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, he arose again the third day according to the Scripture. And he was seen, he, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. There's the gospel. Christ came, Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ arose. If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, put your faith and trust in him, nothing else. You add anything else to that, you've polluted the gospel. You say, well, you got to go to church. You've polluted the gospel. you got to be baptized. You've polluted the gospel. you got to take the Lord's Supper. You've polluted the gospel. You see, it, it, with cultural Christianity, there's this mindset that places one's security in heritage, in values, and in rites of passage. Remember me sharing with you when we were on vacation that I talked with a new friend by the name of Carlos? And I asked Carlos, says, Carlos, have you ever asked Christ to come into your life and save you? And this is what he said. He said, I'm Catholic. I'm Catholic. Now, I've, I've, been in the, I've gone into the jail several times. And uh, Doug, you can testify this too. You can, hey, have you ever accepted Christ? And he says, well, they'll say, I'm Baptist. I found out that there are more Baptists in jail than anybody else in jail. But that's culture, see. That is, that's dependent on a heritage. That's mama was Baptist, dad was Baptist, and I'm Baptist. Mama was Catholic, I'm, uh, papa was Catholic, and I'm Catholic. And so their security of a cultural Christian is dependent on their heritage, upon their values, upon their rites of passage. I've been baptized. I've been christened. I've been, I've been, uh, uh, I've been you know, I take communion uh, or perhaps uh, uh, come from, I've been confirmed, if you're, if you're speaking of Catholicism. Those are rites of passages. And when you ask a person that's a cultural Christian, they'll name those rites of passages. But they can't tell you that they've trusted Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of their life. They'll say, I've been baptized. I've talked to telemarketers, and I said, have you ever trusted Christ to be your Savior? And they said, I was baptized when I was an infant. That's cultural Christianity. That's dependent on a rite of passage for your security and your salvation. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, where you're Baptist, where you're Catholic, where you're Methodist, Church Christ, whatever it might be, you're lost without Jesus Christ. So don't end this life being a cultural Christian. You'll die without Jesus. You must trust in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ or you're going to miss heaven altogether. You know that you're saved when you're saved by conviction and not by culture. So as a believing and gospel-declaring church as we are, we need to see people move from being a Christian by culture 
to being a Christian by conviction. Nice people, sweet people, but they've been lied to if they hold security in anything else for their salvation other than Jesus Christ. So how do you know you're saved? You love the Father, not the world. You haven't abandoned Christianity, the fellowship. You have, you, you, you have more than just a form of religion. And then you're a Christian by conviction and not by culture. And I'm going to close with this real quick. You walk like Jesus. Look, if you will, at 1 John 2, verse 6. 1 John 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If you say that you're a Christian, you need to walk like Jesus. You walk like Jesus. You walk around like Jesus walked. You ought. You see that word ought in verse 6? He who says he abides in him ought. Now that word, the word means, had several meanings. The word ought means to owe money, to owe, to be indebted, to be under obligation, to be bound by duty. You ought to. You ought. Are you ordering your behavior, your daily walk, like Jesus? If you're not, there's a question whether you're saved or not. Are you walking like Jesus walked? Are you ordering your behavior like Jesus walked? You ought to. What does it mean? You're indebted to. You're not only indebted, but... You're bound by duty to, you're under obligation to, you, you, he owns you, you ought to, he owns you. So one way that you know that you're lost is that your walk, your behavior, your walk is not like Jesus. So how are you walking? Is your walk like his walk? Well, then you're either lost or you're backslidden. Are you saved? Religious but lost. Religious but not saved. I found this interesting. It's a fact that those who claim no religious affiliation, and they're referred to as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. It's actually a group that surveyed. The fact that those who claim no religious affiliation, the nuns, are on the rise. Between 2007-2014, this group, the nuns, they rose from 16.1% to 22.8% of the American population have no religious affiliation. And according to a study of U.S. adults, 80% of those polled believed in God, but only 56% of, of those believed in God as described in the Bible. Considering the fact that 70% of the population of America still identify as Christian. So with the evidence of a decline in the nominal Christianity, 
The author said, I believe it is a must that we minister to those that are on the fence, those that are on the edge. Folks, listen, you don't want to be on the edge. Jesus said, if you're for me, you can't be against me. If you're against me, you can't be for me. You can't be on the edge. We need to move them from the edge into the fold. Because if they die on the edge, just maybe that they're a cultural Christian. It's serious. Very serious. And so this morning, as we think about our relationship with the Lord, how do you know that you're a Christian? Are you a believer? Now, if you'll read John, the second chapter, you'll, you'll see other ways that you can know. You can know if you obey his commandments. You'll know if you love him. We talked about that. But there are other ways you can know that you're a Christian. But we just, I just jotted about five and a couple not found in John. But anyway, how do you know that you're a Christian? You love the Father, you love the world. Have you abandoned your fellowship? Obviously not. You're here today. But we have several that are not here. But and some are homebound and they have... You know, they have the excuses and, and, and really, uh, you know, adequate excuses. They're not here. Their, their health forbids them to be here. But we have many today that are just out there in the world, and they have no concern whatsoever. They haven't moved their membership. They're just out there, not going anywhere. And it seems as though many have abandoned Christianity. That's frightening. Do you have a form of religion? Just the form, or do you have the form of religion and the power that goes with it through the working of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you a Christian by conviction, or are you a Christian by a culture, by, as a cultural Christian? It's just your culture. You say the blessing at the table. You stand and saying, God bless America at the football field. We did this the other night. We, we had, uh, you know, the band played the national anthem. Still makes goosebumps go over you but yet a lot of people leave and it makes no difference in the way they live their life to have an invocation and after the prayer uh, play some music with some curse words in it that's cultural Christianity you walk like Jesus you walk like he walks I pray that you do let's have a prayer Heavenly Father thank you for an opportunity that we've, we've had this morning to be focused upon ways that we can examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. I pray for every person here this morning. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who has, who has not truly accepted you as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray that they'll come today. I pray for other decisions that will be made this morning. I pray for rededication of lives, transfer of membership, if that's what your will is for people. But I pray that you'll draw the people. And Father, we pray for those who are cultural Christians. Perhaps we live next to them. Perhaps we work with them. And so, Father, we pray that you might use us to share our testimony and what you mean to us and how we came to faith in you and how we trusted you to be our Lord and our Savior. And Father, it's not by some rite of passage but, Lord, it's a commitment to you to ask you to come into our life and save us and forgive us and for us to trust and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the way that it will be until you come back. 
if a person wants to come to Christ, if they want to go to heaven when they die, they put their faith and trust in you and nothing else. That's where their security is. That's where it lies. And so help us, we pray, friends, work acquaintances, whoever it may be, people we meet on the street, people we talk to. I pray for Carlos, Father, my friend. I pray, and I sat there for 30 minutes and shared with him the importance of trusting you as Lord and Savior, not trusting anything else. And I pray that people will understand that who have heard this message this morning, wherever they may be, wherever they may be viewing this. And so, Father, we pray that, that the message has come across that you are the only way that a person can go to heaven, their trust, their faith in you, your, your birth, your death, your resurrection, and your soon coming again. And, Lord, I pray today that you'll speak to people. Thank you for what you're going to do during our invitation time, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Terry's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation.